Welcome back to the period panel, proudly supported by Active Iron. Hello and welcome to the period panel. I am delighted to be joined by Maeve Mannion on today's episode. Maeve, it's great to have you. Thanks so much for coming in. Thanks very much for having me. I suppose, uh, first things first, I would love you to introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Um, so currently I'm a PhD student in SCTU Carlo. Um, I'm researching the menstrual cycle in weight categorised sports. Um, and I suppose how this came to fruition was I did my undergraduate degree in strength and conditioning. Um, from there, I suppose, like playing sports myself um, and growing up in like quite a sporty, even though I don't really like the word environment, um, that led me to have like a big interest mm-hmm. in the menstrual cycle, weight class sports. Um, and I suppose that led me to the research that I'm doing today. And I suppose give us a bit of an insight into your sporting background as well. I know you're, uh, you know, you're still competing at the moment. So talk to us a little bit about that. Um, yeah, so I actually powerlift competitively. Um, I have a lovely crew of people down in Urban Barbell in Limerick. Um, and that's where I'd be predominantly based for training. Um, I suppose growing up, um, I actually played basketball and rugby. Um, and I suppose for me, how I became really interested in like female athletes was like as a rugby player at like a fairly all right level, um, I kind of noticed the lack of resources, lack mm-hmm. of information that was available to us as athletes. Um, so I suppose for me, I thought, okay, well, I'm noticing this problem. Um, so in order to solve the problem, I have to do an undergraduate degree in strength and conditioning. Um, and then I was like so fortunate that I ended up doing um, a graduate internship in the physiology lab in Mm -hmm. the college um which allowed me to then work with like multiple athletes across multiple levels and multiple sports so I come from both like a personal background of lifting and then like quite a professional background in that I've worked with lots of athletes from lots of sports so far yeah that's definitely something that we've come across a lot and you know talk about at her sport is the fact that there is this lack of information available for women as well as like then obviously leading into female athletes and that a lot of research has been done on men and kind of applied to women so tell us a little bit more about the PhD and you know exactly what you'd be diving into I know you've you know just over a year done Um, I suppose explain to you know the general public how it all works because a PhD isn't some, something that a lot of people take on. Uh, no and I suppose um, for me it was like both personal and professional in the sense that like I noticed this problem mm-hmm. um, and I kind of I wanted answers for myself yeah. and that led to me obviously wanting answers um, for everyone else um, so I suppose like as you've shared yourself on social media Paris 2024 is set to be like the most sex balanced games to date like there'll be an equal participation of males and females but like if you look at the research in sport and exercise science, a study was done in like 2014, um, that only four to 13% of all of the sport and exercise research is done on a female only cohort. So like we have come a long way, even since 2014, Mm -hmm. um, in the sense that, you know, there's much more research done on female athletes. Now we're considering the menstrual cycle. We're considering like pregnancy, hormonal contraceptives, but we're definitely at a stage where, the quality of the research um, like needs to be a little bit more robust so that we can actually apply it. Um, so like, you know, I'm not the first one to notice this trend. Like there's been fantastic researchers so far in the sense of like 
Kirsty Elliott Sale, um, Kelly McNulty, David Nolan, mm-hmm. like these fantastic researchers have like I suppose in the early stages helped us identify what the gaps are and where we need to go and especially like Kelly McNulty would be a big one for me in the sense that like I've really really driven home like the quality of my research and how everything needs to be standardized across the board as best as we can so that we can actually apply the findings because that was a big thing for me was that everyone was saying okay there's no research done on females but it's like okay there actually is Mm -hmm. but it we can't actually apply it so we're no further on essentially Mm -hmm. in that sense so that kind of was the driving force behind the research for me. So in terms of the research that you're looking to do, it's primarily based on the menstrual cycle in weight categorised sports and it'd be a four-year PhD programme. Yeah, yeah. So a four-year PhD programme. The first year like, was mainly based on... I was given a completely different title. Um, mm-hmm. I was actually supposed to look at the effects of the menstrual cycle and body composition on performance and perceived performance in elite female athletes. Okay. So I kind of tore up the plan in my first year um, and kind of had to justify why I wanted yeah. to go down this route. So I suppose like for people who don't know in terms of like weight category mm-hmm. sports, we have this extra added pressure of you have to be a specific weight on a specific day or else you're actually not allowed to compete. Yep. Yeah. So when you tie that in with the menstrual cycle and the different like physiological variables that occur over the course of the menstrual cycle, it's like that's a big gap in itself Mm -hmm. and it was almost like too good to be true for me I was like how has nobody noticed this and I suppose like if you're not a weight class athlete you don't think about it you don't think about this like you don't step up on the scales in the morning in the evening like the week prior to your competition to make sure that you know you're going to actually be allowed to compete on a Saturday yeah it's interesting actually I would have spoken to you um Claire Lamb, she would have gone to the Rio Olympics in um, 2016 and uh, would have raced in the um, lightweight double. Um, she's the sister of Emer Lamb, so Emer would actually race in the um, open open weight category. wouldn't have to wouldn't have to worry about making weight where Claire um, would have raced in the in the lightweight event. And she's a she's a tall athlete as well. Yeah. Um, and would have talked to her about you know trying to trying to make that weight class and. Um, the average of the boat would be 57 kilos and um, I think she's like five foot ten so yeah. um but in terms of that she would have talked to me a little bit about um you know trying to make weight and and um having to get such a good understanding of your menstrual cycle and how it can impact you because obviously you know some people um you know might carry more weight uh, around their period or at different stages yeah. of their menstrual cycle um I suppose with a sport like rowing, you row, you weigh in on the morning of the event. Yeah. I know with some other um, weight categorized sports that you weigh, you can weigh in the day before. Um, I suppose talk to us a little bit about that in the in terms of um, the variances that you might be looking at uh, across the like you said you're looking at eleven sports. So I'm imagining that the the rules and regulations around yeah, the different sports yeah. are different as well. Like it's completely different depending on the federation that you're involved with. Um, like depending on who your governing body is, um, depending on a few, um, depending again, like where you're competing. Um, so what I basically had to do was go through all of the research mm-hmm. and for every sport kind of outline, okay, for the likes of powerlifting, there's X amount of federations. Um, and more specifically, the one that I compete in, I have a two hour weigh-in. Okay. So I know 
that I don't really have a lot of time afterwards to refuel, to yeah. recover. And I suppose haven't got as like big a weight range to play with. Yeah. Whereas I've also done competitions where I've had 24 hours to win. Yeah. So like I've looked at more acute strategies, I suppose, to manipulate my weights. So, like yeah. I've done water loading and water cutting, um, trips to the sauna, loads of things that like I wouldn't recommend. Yeah. Um, but things that got the job done in order yeah. to make the weight because I had 24 hours to recover. Um, I guess people would be familiar with that in, you know, in professional boxing, yes. um, where people would be weighing in the, the day before and they, you know, they're weighing in at, you know, say 70 kilos and, and then the next day when they're actually fighting, they could be 75 yeah. or, or 77 or 78 kilos, depending. Well, some sports even have like a cap. So I think it's the likes of judo. So like the morning of the competition, they'll re-weigh you. So you okay. can't have gained like more than 5%, like which, you know, in combat sports, like I I actually do kind of agree with that and I yeah. get the logic behind that. So that was something that I didn't know mm-hmm. um, was like the times of weigh-ins, how they vary. And I suppose like bringing it back to your menstrual cycle, like if you have a two-hour weigh-in and you know that at a certain phase of your cycle, you're likely to be a little bit heavier, a little even the other way, a little bit lighter mm-hmm. um, because we tend to always focus on the heavier side yeah. of the weight class sports. But then you've females who are trying to bulk into a heavier weight yeah, class. Yeah, of course, of course. Um, which we never really tend Considered, to touch yeah. on. So like depending on where you are in your cycle, and again, like it's highly individualized, um, that has to be considered when you're weighing in um, in case you might be slightly heavier, you might be slightly lighter. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's kind of something you might not necessarily consider if you're not a weight class um, athlete. athlete yeah and I suppose in terms of um the research that you've done so far um and the outcomes that you're trying to achieve like you know where are you now and where are you hoping to go um so like I said the first year was very much like tear up the plan um <laughs> and start again I'm sure my supervisors did not enjoy that process but like for me I was hell-bent on finding some answers down this particular avenue um so I suppose like what we're always encouraged to do as PhD students is to like paint a picture. Mm-hmm. Um, so like your start, your middle and your ending. So you're telling a story essentially. So for me, the start was, okay, well, I have no idea what's going on in terms of the menstrual cycle and weight class sports. Mm-hmm. I've no idea in terms of the trends. I've no idea on what the current research is. Like it's a completely blank canvas. Um, so the first step for me was I did a narrative review. Um, so essentially... What that was, like, it was basically summarizing all of the research that's available to me currently on the menstrual cycle and weight class sports. Mm-hmm. Um, so I took a combination of like the menstrual cycle, menstruation, phrased it like loads of different ways, and paired that with weight class sports. Again, phrased that in loads of different ways to suit all of the sports, and more importantly, females. Um, and basically plugged all of that into six different databases and ended up with, I think it was 71 papers. And out of the 71 papers, I was able to use 11 of them. Wow. So to me, like there was 11 studies based off my search terms that I could use and I could pull data from to guide the direction that I was going in. So initially Mm -hmm. I was like, my gosh, like I'm so shocked. How am I going to like phrase a PhD around this? But then also when you put it that way it's like there's such a big avenue opportunity yeah to go here um so I suppose like 
my main findings from that particular study. Um, not every weight class sport, so the kind of 11 of them that I am focusing on was included because mm-hmm. there simply just wasn't research. Yeah. Um, so like the main ones were like powerlifting, judo, rowing, karate, taekwondo, and boxing and wrestling. They were mm-hmm. kind of the main sports. Um, like rowing and judo were the two most popular. There was like four and three studies um, for both of them. Um, like I suppose it's not really a finding of my own but again like it comes back to that research quality like there was a lot of variation in you know how we conduct the research Mm -hmm. even down to like different phrases Um, so some papers you'll see female athletes being labelled as eumenorrheic some will be naturally menstruating so like to someone reading that they might mean the same thing Mm -hmm. but to like a researcher they're completely different. So like okay. to me, like, well, not to me, but like naturally menstruating says defined as um, someone who has a menstrual cycle who essentially bleeds for three to five days of the month. But I suppose the difference between eumenorrheic and naturally menstruating is with eumenorrheic, you're actually confirming that they're ovulating through like the use okay. of a urine sample or a blood sample. Um, so like, if you haven't confirmed ovulation, there's a big difference between someone who's naturally menstruating and eumenorrheic. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes you'll see papers, you know, might have them labelled as eumenorrheic because they have a menstrual cycle, but they might not have confirmed ovulation. So like that's, I suppose, to me, I'll constantly harp on about, oh, the quality, the quality, the quality. Yeah. And I suppose to everyone else, that's what I mean by the quality in the sense that like, definitions will differ from paper to paper so that was like the biggest thing for me so going forward then I thought okay well what do I need to find out about next so hopefully the next study which will take place um after Christmas so January 2024 will look at naturally menstruating females so because I'm doing a survey I'm not actually confirming that they're ovulating I'm just confirming or they're like self-confirming to me that they bleed for three to five days yes um of a cycle um so i'm actually going to look at symptomology um first in order to like get a picture of okay what's going on and symptomology is one of like not one of the only things but it's something that we can look at without confirming say ovulation so then like next i might do a tracking study where i'm confirming ovulation and i'm looking at different trends so like we're kind of coming to, I suppose, this hypothesis that in weight class sports, you know, there are studies to say that like female boxers um, would be more susceptible to infrequent menstruation due to weight restriction, yeah. say compared to um, just your average recreational female with an average fat mass. Um, so I suppose like we still have no idea you know, to me or you, an average menstrual cycle is 28 days. We ovulate in the middle of it, like it's what we learned in Leaving Cert Biology, say. But for weight class sports where you have that added pressure of your body weight has to be this specific mm-hmm. weight at this time, we've no idea, okay, is that affecting the length of our menstrual cycle? Mm-hmm. So is it going from like a five-day cycle to a six-day cycle? Or sorry, five-day bleed to a six-day bleed? Or is like my menstrual cycle what was normally 
to me say 28 days is that now 35 Mm -hmm. so we've no real picture per se um as to what a typical menstrual cycle trend looks like in weight class sports so in relation i suppose to the research are you trying to establish uh, um how competing in these sports impacts like performance and one's uh one's body i suppose now in their like current life um or will you be looking potentially at the impact that it could have on them in the future as well um so like for me I was always very conscious when I was starting into this that I was like I don't want to like eliminate any cohort don't want mm-hmm. to leave anything out but like unfortunately you're only given four years and four yep. years funding so potentially like I'll very much pave the way and lay the ground for this is what's currently happening yeah and I can probably give you a little bit of insight on this is where it might go yeah but it'll be very much up to someone I suppose to come in after me and take over the reins and take over yeah. the reins and I suppose that's how it has like happened through female athlete research in the sense that like we've gotten as far as okay we have research but it's not fantastic quality and now like I'm coming in and I'm like okay how do we make the quality Mm -hmm. better and identify more gaps and someone will come in after me and eventually be able to I don't think and I think it's something we need to move away from in that we'll never be able to give blanket recommendations Mm because it's like such a highly individualized process yeah but I do think like we owe our female athletes a little bit more than what we're currently giving them yeah yeah it'd be really interesting I suppose to gain an understanding from people like for people that are participating in those weight class sports because obviously there's high performance level but but people are competing at those um in in weight class sports from club level we'll say as well um but I suppose for people to understand like what are the implications potentially in later life does it have an impact on you know your menstrual cycle for the rest of your life does it have anything to do with fertility or or not and answer all these questions that we simply don't have the answers to so it it would be brilliant obviously to see that um research hopefully hopefully continued um I suppose in relation to menstrual cycle and, and maybe from some of the research that you've done or from some personal experience um how beneficial is it to both the athlete and the coach to have an insight and understanding of their menstrual cycle um I suppose like I'd rephrase that slightly in the sense that like you know it's, it's crucial mm. um like to me it's just as important as a nutrition protocol a sleep protocol um a training protocol like it's I suppose cyclical in terms yeah. of females go through this every 28 to 35 days even 23 to 35 days depending on your cycle length um so it's not something something that we can I suppose brush over mm-hmm. um like everyone is highly individualized it will I suppose affect people individually on different levels so in order to I suppose know how it's potentially going to affect your athlete as a coach and then you as an athlete, how it might affect you. I suppose it's your job as an athlete, I suppose, to go away and track your cycle and mm-hmm. track your trends and know, okay, at this particular phase of my cycle, um, I might be a little bit more lethargic. I might be a little bit more moody, um, which in turn can play into my performance. Mm-hmm. But it's your coach's job, I suppose, to have your best interests at heart and to be able to have that conversation with them so there needs to be like an open flow communication between the athlete and coach Mm -hmm. in terms of menstrual cycle which I do think like we are a lot better at that now than than what we were Mm -hmm. um but like in order to I suppose not have it limit performance whether that be like your objectively measured performance or your perception of how you perform Mm -hmm. 
both parties need to be fully aware of what's happening. Like as like I can come at it from an athlete perspective and a coach perspective um, because I've worn both hats. Um, so I suppose like as a an athlete just because or sorry as a coach just because it's not happening directly to you doesn't mean you don't need to know about it yeah of course um like we're so invested in like making athletes fitter faster stronger that's just an element that adds to it so we can't brush over it yeah definitely like I, I suppose for anybody that's listening like it's about trying to gain an insight into the athlete and how to support them in um, like maximizing the most out of their training at certain stages I suppose yeah. have you gotten any insight into that um, around the different phases of someone's menstrual cycle that can be beneficial for, for specific types of training or what what is some of the research that you've uncovered there um, so like in terms of that like the one kind of sentence that's like coming to me is that we still don't know enough mm-hmm. in order to be able to say okay at this phase of your cycle, you are guaranteed to feel X, Y, and Z, and yeah. therefore, like, this method of training is appropriate. Mm-hmm. We're still very much on the level of, and I think as researchers, we potentially tried to, like, skip a few levels. Mm-hmm. So now we're, like, coming back coming and back. we're like, okay, let's go back to the basics. We're still very much on the level of, this is what you might feel, and this is how you could train. Mm-hmm. So... If you're not tracking individually as an athlete, whether you're like team sport, whether you're an individual athlete, kind of doing yourself a disservice. A disservice. Yeah. Um, even as basic as like monitoring health, like we all forget that the menstrual cycle is a marker of health. Mm-hmm. So if you're not getting one, that could be a red flag. So if, you know, you only feel comfortable or confident having a conversation with, like for me, I was an SNC coach, um, with multiple girls teams so they would come to me and they would have this conversation mm-hmm. with me technically like it's out of my jurisdiction um not my scope of practice but like if I can preempt that conversation and maybe have some resources in play in the sense that okay well like would you like me to have a conversation with like the team doctor mm-hmm. or Head this coach. is how you could potentially manage this mm-hmm then we're not closing that door we're not closing off that conversation so I know I've kind of gone around about your question there but we can't say that the menstrual cycle directly affects x y and z just yet Mm -hmm. so we can't give training protocols so that's why it's very much Mm. individual track your cycle and monitor as you see fit and it's not the answer believe me it's not the answer that I want to give and it's not the answer that our female athletes like want to hear but like bear with us because like the research is evolving Mm. so I guess there's potentially what you're establishing is there might be some markers that indicate certain things as opposed to specific phases so if you feel a certain way that this is the way that you should train as opposed to that it's blocked off yes particularly in relation to a lot of your tracking apps and like a lot of menstrual cycle researchers will kind of tell you Not that we're against them. Like, I use a tracking app for my own menstrual cycle. But what we're against, I suppose, is some of them have, like, come out and said, you know, in your um, ovulation phase, you should do X, Y, and Z. You shouldn't train this, this, and this. Whereas, like, we just, we can't say that yet. Mm -hmm. We have no idea. And it also goes back to that sense of what if you are just 
naturally menstruating as opposed to eumenorrhea what if you're not getting uh like what if you're not ovulating mm-hmm. um so like we just we're we're just not there yet yeah we're delighted to be working with active iron for season two of the period panel I myself have been taking their supplements for over a year and have had a really positive experience. One of the best things about Active Iron is the fact that it's so gentle on the stomach. So now let's dive back into the period panel. I suppose I probably should have asked this question sooner, but I suppose the natural menstruation or the, the bleed that you're talking about, is that for people that are on the pill or what, what is the difference between, or I know you've mentioned ovulation, but why wouldn't some people be ovulating, I guess? Um, so people who are on the pill that's a withdrawal rate okay. um so like I've definitely heard conversations with friends like do you know I get my period blah 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 when I'm on the pill and it's like okay it's not let's, a period let's debunk that myth yeah so that's just like your of or that's your withdrawal rate okay um like for multiple health reasons you may not ovulate okay. um again like that's a little bit out of my scope yeah like, yeah I'll always be honest in the sense that I so it's something that's an probably not even common knowledge yeah. to people if yeah. they are ovulating or they're not ovulating yeah. so that's something then that they actually potentially need to check with their doctor yeah. as you said to get those yeah. urine samples to know yeah absolutely yeah. okay interesting yeah no I wouldn't have thought I suppose anything of it I would have just assumed that's what you that learn you're... like in in biology and leaving sex yeah is yeah that, so your cycle is 28 days you ovulate in the middle you bleed from one to five yeah yeah but like that might not actually so be the case from okay. that now Interesting. Um, and in terms of, I suppose, the stage that you're at now, like you've done a couple of presentations and you've, um, I suppose, been speaking to a range of different people. What is the kind of feedback that you've been receiving so far? Um, like it's been really positive, um, especially within weight class sports. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like a lot of weight class athletes, you know, it has been like, it has been a taboo everywhere, um, but like specifically in weight class sports um and in the sense that you know we're like so highly strung and caught up in like what our body weight is and when it is so now recognizing that okay well even with all your hard work and effort your body weight might just be your body weight based off your cycle phase yeah yeah um so like there's been a lot of positives come out of it in that sense um like educating people that things actually will fluctuate I suppose it's maybe talked about generally but to make sure that people actually really get an understanding themselves the tracking is essential yeah absolutely like if that's the one piece of advice I could give it would be track your cycle um but yeah no it has been quite positive um like and really opening up that conversation like people will message me chat to me um about like the menstrual cycle or about you know how their training might vary and you know to me like I'm in a privileged position in that oh wow well like you sought I suppose not even my advice but like my ears Mm -hmm. you wanted me to listen to your story on the menstrual cycle because you feel like I might be able to offer you something so like you know I for one second like do not take advantage of like the privileged position Mm -hmm. that I'm in with these athletes and how it can I suppose develop another layer to our relationship how have you kind of evolved your relationship with like your menstrual cycle and your period from maybe being a teenager into now being an adult and, and in participating in, in your sport? Um, I suppose like I grew up playing like team sports. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I was playing like basketball and rugby, like it didn't phase me mm-hmm. in the slightest, like it didn't cost me a second thought. Um, it was actually, and I keep going back to weight class sports, but it was actually only when I took up powerlifting mm-hmm. um and my body weight would fluctuate like I've competed in 
like maybe three or four different weight classes. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was only when I was competing in what used to be an under 72 kilo class. And I would kind of naturally walk around at like maybe 76, 77 kilos. So I was cutting into this class and basically ended up with infrequent menstruation. Mm-hmm. So to me, I was like, okay, well, you know, I'm only 21 now, but like, if this is what it's like now, what's it going to be like in the future? Long term. I was also someone who was like fairly regiment um, in that like my cycle was regular. I knew when it was going to come. Mm-hmm. I knew it wouldn't really affect my training. Like I was quite lucky in that my symptoms were not very severe. Um, but then as my body weight would fluctuate, my symptomology would okay. change. And again, like that's just me and yeah. me as an individual. Um, so I suppose like I've definitely come a long way in a sense that like I can now recognize okay well my like you know even though you know it it doesn't make it any easier yourself but like I can now recognize okay my body weight might fluctuate um like I was diagnosed with PMDD back in January so like what that is it's premenstrual dysphoric disorder Mm -hmm. not really spoken about we don't really know a whole lot about it um but essentially my GP just described it to me as a more severe form of PMS. Okay. So PMS times 10 was what he said to me. Um, so I suppose how that came about for me and how I felt like I needed to go to my GP, say, um, like I was quite low energy, um, like quite up and down in terms of like my mood, more more so than, than Previously. normal. Yeah. Um, it was like eating into my training. It was eating into my everyday life. And like what it looked like for me was I'd have two weeks where I was like sky high. And mm-hmm. then I'd have two weeks where I was like so, so low in terms of like mood, productivity, um, like my training, wanting to socialize. Um, so like I was like, okay, this is, this is not normal. Um, so for me then like I went to my GP and like have in the last kind of four to five months actually started to manage it. So like mm-hmm. I'm coming back to what looks like a normal cycle for me now. Mm-hmm. And is that something that you think maybe was impacted by being involved in the, the, the weight class sports or it's just something that maybe evolved over time? Um, I think it's like, um, so we don't know how it's brought on, but like mm-hmm. if you look at like changes within my life, like it definitely came at a time where I was just starting into research. Um, again, I was going through different weight classes in mm-hmm. powerlifting, so like other stresses in life, essentially. So mm. I can't sit here and sit like give a yes or no. Yeah, yeah. Um, but because I do it is physical think, and mental stress maybe that have yeah, Im- impacted, impacted it. it. Yeah. Um, so in terms of your competition, I know um, back in June you were competing in was it five competitions in, in a 10 month space talk to us a little bit like that how did that go um yeah so it just kind of fell that way um so like I've been powerlifting for five years now um and trained all through COVID I was lucky enough to have a setup at home um and then as soon as all of the competitions started back up again I actually fell and injured my shoulder when I was oh, okay. out testing an athlete one day um so it just kind of fell that when I came back, I came back very hard um, and did five competitions in 10 months, um, which is like not the norm. Um, I was going from comp prep to comp prep. So like it gives you very little time to actually like increase your baseline. Um, 
so yeah it's not something I would recommend I did I did enjoy it and it definitely got me back into the sport it got me qualified refereeing mm-hmm. um and like it got the hours of competing and experience under my belt essentially mm-hmm. but I would not do that again <laughs> and I suppose with this like you know it's an average of every two months like would you have noticed like much of an impact on your menstrual cycle through this 10 month um phase of uh or sorry five no 10 months five competitions yeah, yeah. um I think if you look at like solely weight class I'm very lucky in the sense that like my body weight doesn't fluctuate too much depending on my menstrual cycle phase maybe like one kilo on days like two to five of my cycle so Mm -hmm. when I'm actually bleeding um and like you know I've developed this over time from tracking my cycle Mm -hmm. tracking my body weight um so it never like directly affected competition because I was never in that phase of my cycle when I competed Mm -hmm. that was an accident I didn't like go looking for competitions at phases I thought were like the most optimal to compete um that was purely an accident um so like it never directly affected my competition day but Mm -hmm. like I do definitely think it affected my training Mm -hmm. and I suppose because I was going through that time where like I had two weeks that I was just completely drained Mm -hmm. was like just about training and then I had two weeks where I was like high in the sky um I do think that probably had an impact indirectly um to my competition performance um, in terms of your training, you've got some, you know, really good, uh, I suppose, content on social and like sharing a bit of an insight into into your training. Um, you had a quote up recently from Ian Benson, don't squat sad, squat mad. So tell us a little bit about what this means to you. <laughs> um, so for me, like to give a little bit of context, I suppose, behind that was um, I only moved to Urban Barbell and coaching under Ian back in August. Um, so I was at like a point in my powerlifting career where I didn't really know if I wanted to continue. Mm-hmm. I didn't really know if the sport was for me anymore. Um, and then the federation that I lift with um, basically announced they were going to send athletes to University Worlds. And mm-hmm. I thought, okay, this is this is my shot. Um, so moved to Ian because I just knew that like this was the right person who was going to be in my corner, was going to have my back and was going to get me where I needed to go. Um so started our training block training was going really well I was on this massive like upward trajectory within my training and this was the last session of the block and I knew I had like a big AMRAP to do on squats and basically the day before I had sent an email to be like okay am I is there any I suppose limitations for me doing university worlds and Mm -hmm. like what's it going to take me to qualify so Basically, our federation got back to me and we're like, you're too old. Mm. Um, the cutoff point is is 25. Um, so I, naturally enough, I was quite disappointed and disheartened. Um, so I got on the phone to Ian. He was like, okay, he's like, you're just going to sit with it for today. He's like, you have to feel how you feel. Mm-hmm. And tomorrow you're still going to come down to Limerick and you're going to train. And I was kind of going, yeah, whatever. Like, what's the point? Yeah, yeah. Which is like the, the wrong attitude. But like, that's how I felt yeah, in course. the time. Um. So I came down the Saturday morning and like I'm like a very structured, very planned person. So immediately I, I was like, right, we need a new plan. And he's like, yeah, OK, but you're going to do your, your squats first and then we'll talk about a plan. Um, so I was like, oh, what's the point? Um, so eventually he talked me around and essentially was like, don't squat mad or don't squat sad, squat mad. 
um and like I ended up having an unbelievable day in training that day and I suppose it just kind of taught me that like even on your your bad days like you're still you're still decent at the mm-hmm. sport and Can your day will and... come like yeah Absolutely. And I, I suppose then look into, I suppose, the, the athletic future, you've, you know, looking at a couple of competitions coming up in the new year. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, so I've actually kind of opted, I suppose, to make the change um, and move over to the newest powerlifting federation that's setting up uh, in Ireland. So my coach, Ian um, Garben and Jay Farnt, they're involved in setting this up. Um, I've just become a referee for the federation and I suppose... For me, this competition is solely about like getting out and enjoying the sport again because mm-hmm. I feel like, you know, I'm with such a fantastic crew now. Like I finally feel like I found like my powerlifting home, say after five years. So I suppose just to get out in in February, um, and a new weight class, um, a new federation, and just see what I can do. Enjoy it. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, thanks a million for taking the time to come in. Um, we'll look forward to, to hearing about all the results um, from the studies, maybe catch up in a couple of years and, and see what you have to share with us then. But thanks a million. Thanks for having me. We hope you enjoyed this episode of The Period Panel. Thanks for listening. Be sure to connect with Her Sport across all of the social media platforms, particularly on Instagram, because we'll be putting up a question box before we shoot every episode. Our episodes will be a combination of athletes and health experts, and we'll direct your question to the person that's best able to answer. We hope to see you again at the next episode of The Period Panel.